your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show that features worldwide conversations with people whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Thank you so much for listening to this free podcast. And to keep it free, please sign up for podcast updates and listen to episodes on my website at yourpositiveimprint.com or download my episodes by hitting that subscribe or follow button on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Don't forget, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Well, my mission is to bring the world of positive imprints like today's guest, Victoria Moran, to you and to inspire you to find your own positive imprints. What's your PI? Well, Victoria Moran is a vegan with a voice. (laughs) She is an inspirational speaker, corporate spokesperson, certified holistic health counselor, and author of several books. She is also founder and director of Main Street Vegan Academy, which is where you can receive training and certification as a vegan lifestyle coach. Her convictions are strong and her voice is passionate. Victoria Moran, welcome to Your Positive Imprint. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you said someone told you you should get into podcasting because you had a beautiful voice and you do have a beautiful voice. Well, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that as we begin our show with Your Positive Imprints. Well, oh my gosh, we have had this long sidebar conversation of getting to know each other before we started this. And there are some really great, fabulous things that I have learned about you. And one of them is you are a John Denver fan. And of course, (laughs) I am. Mm. Well, it's so interesting how sometimes when people are well known in the world, they're able to have a positive imprint on so many people. And John Denver, you know, of course, was one of those, but I'm fascinated by people that most people have never heard of and the positive imprints that they have kind of, you know, uh, rippling out. So I I do a a weekly uh, podcast, Main Street Vegan, as you mentioned, and I love to have people on that people have heard of and listeners will say, oh, thank you for having so-and-so and and have that person back again. And I'll do that. (laughs) But some of my favorite conversations with with people on the show are those that nobody's heard of and I had a woman a few years ago who lives in a little tiny town up in Ontario and she wandered into the supermarket as probably most of us have and she saw this lobster this one lobster left there in the tank all the other lobsters had been sold and for some reason her heart just went out to this lobster. So she went home and read about how one could save a lobster. And Google, bless its heart, knows how to do everything, including save a lobster. So she (laughs) went back to the store, she bought the lobster, she took it to the UPS, and the guys there were totally on board, and they wanted to save the lobster too, and she had also contacted someone who lived in the coastal region where these lobsters came from, 
She sent the lobster to the woman. The woman took the lobster to the sea. It took a few moments and the lobster was like, oh, cool, I'm home. Jump back into the sea and presumably lived happily ever after. But I tell that story because she did for about 36 hours after that get a lot of press. A lot of people wrote about this woman that saved the lobster. She got flack because some of the animal rights people were saying, well, you shouldn't have purchased the lobster because they're just going to replace it with another one. And yet, you know, she followed her heart. And to me, everybody that follows their heart is a positive imprinter. And it's just wonderful that there are so many all over everywhere. Oh, yes. And I really enjoyed that story. Yeah, that's a great story. And to start out with your voice and your passion. And you started your lifestyle at a super young age, before it was really talked about. You even did a, you, your college thesis was even on veganism. Is veganism the right word? Yeah, that's the right word. Okay. Yeah, I heard the word vegetarian when I was five years old. I came home from school with the four food groups, and my nanny, who was kind of a curmudgeonly grandmother age person who was magnificent. I'd call her my first <laughs> spiritual teacher. And she didn't like the idea of the government telling people what to do. And she said, there are some people who never eat meat. And I could take you to a restaurant and get you a hamburger made out of peanuts. And you would think you were having beef. And I remember thinking at five years old, oh my gosh, there's so much I don't know. I wonder where I'm ever going to learn it. But I was in Kansas City, Missouri, which is known for barbecue and uh, steak. And it was, I'd never met a vegetarian, but it just stayed with me. And then when I was 17 and started reading about yoga, which people nowadays is like, yeah, right, everybody knows yoga, go down to the Y and take a class. But at that time, and we're talking the late 1960s, Yoga was weird, and people confused it with yogurt because that was weird too. Oh. <laughs> and so I read in these three yoga books, the only ones I think that were in English at that time, certainly the only ones in the Kansas City Public Library, and they all said if you want to be serious about yoga, you have to be vegetarian. And it took me a couple of years, but by the time I was 19, I was vegetarian, never heard of vegans. And then about three years later, I did, and it resonated with me. So for anybody that these terms are a kind of jargon and you don't know what's what, a vegetarian does not eat anybody who had a mother. And, and this is cows, chickens, pigs, sheep, goats, uh, turkeys, uh, ducks, geese, fishes, anybody like that. And then a vegan also does not eat animal products, meaning that we don't have dairy products and, and eggs uh, primarily. And people say, well, why is that? Because you don't have to kill the cow. You don't have to kill the chicken. Well, you really do. Um, cows to give milk have to have a baby. And this is such a shock to so many people. I think anybody who didn't grow up on a farm, we just assume cows make milk. That's what they do. That's what they're here for. They make milk. But they're not. They're mammals. They're just like female humans. They're like cats. We know that the cat doesn't give milk unless she's had kittens. We know that we women don't make milk unless we've had a baby. Well, it's the same with the cow. And so she has the baby and they're separated and that's awful. And then when she can't make 
milk anymore, can't have babies anymore. She's off to slaughter. So that doesn't sit right with me because I was already vegetarian. I thought I was keeping animals from being slaughtered by that choice. And then I learned I wasn't. And then on the chicken front, we know that most overwhelmingly 98% of of, uh, chickens are in these terrible factories, caged or even uncaged, not great places. I've been to them. Uh, But also the boys aren't needed. And so all the baby boys are are killed right at hatching. It's an actual job. It's called sexer. Somebody checks to see, oh, it's a boy. Off, you know, off with your head or basically off to be uh, shredded or, or suffocated. And I heard all this and it's like, oh, my God, get me out of here. I don't want to do this. But it was tough. It's very tough for me. It's tough for some people now. Um, I was a practicing binge eater. And I would be vegan for a while, and then I would feel the need to stuff my feelings with food, and I would be at the quickie mart in the middle of the night looking for all my binge foods, and they all had something in them. They all had whey or egg albumin, and then I would be off and away from being vegan and have to bring myself back. So it was it was difficult, but some people believed in me, and I think this is so important in every part of life. Whatever you aspire to do or change or become, if somebody believes in you, it's just like you can't not make it. And so there was this lovely couple who had started the American Vegan Society in 1960, which is just like, are you serious? 1960? That was almost <laughs> the 50s. They had, had started that and And they just always believed in me. And then ultimately, in 1983, I had gone into recovery for the eating disorder and knew that I had choice about uh, what I would eat. And I chose vegan and have never looked back. And that was 36 years ago. Wow. And you, I want to go back to the eating disorder. So you, you had... Binge binge eating disorder, garden variety, um, eat too much, uh, (laughs) gain weight, go on diets, lose weight, then gain it back again. I I always thought of my body as like, you know, losing and gaining. And I see these shows, you know, my 600 pound life. And I think, oh, bless, bless these people. Because I ate like they eat, but then I would interrupt it. And I would do some kind of diet. And, and then I would go back and eat again. So I was never more than about 65 pounds overweight, but I would lose and gain that same 60 pounds over and over again. There's a line in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about what it's like for an alcoholic who has been sober and then goes back. And the line is pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I know that feeling very well because for the first 33 years of my life, I just repeated that over and and over again. And, you know, we talk a lot about food and diet and health and weight and body acceptance and all these things. And they're all in this big, confusing mishmash. And it's very true that we need to love ourselves today precisely as we are. We need to accept our bodies. We don't need to buy any kind of corporate, uh, institutional, media-driven kind of body size thing. And yet, on the other hand, I was eating myself to death. You know, I, it, 
when I finally got recovery, I just remember one day just saying to God, I may never be thin. Please just make me free. And once I got to that point, it was a lot easier to pick up those 12-step recovery principles and make peace with food. Wow, that's an incredible story. And look at you now, you're absolutely gorgeous and you just yeah. glow. And I think that were you not named the sexiest <laughs> vegan? <laughs> I was Peter's sexiest vegan over 50 in, in 2016 uh, alongside a male counterpart, Dr. Joel Kahn, a wonderful cardiologist in Detroit. So, yeah, we, we served uh, <laughs> uh, late 1916 through 2017. I have to say that sometimes those uh, PETA's sexiest vegans, they get a lot of media that we didn't get because we were crowned, so to speak, the exact same week that Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. So <laughs> we had all this competition from a very surprising election outcome. So, uh, yeah, we, we didn't get to do too much making the rounds. But, you know, it's still on the resume. But once upon <laughs> a time. I was a co-sexy vegan. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Well, congratulations. I shouldn't say it's funny, but your story, the way you tell it is funny. But congratulations on that. It's not just the looks that, that you were chosen. It's it's what you're doing, what you're practicing, and your voice, and your passion, and of course, your looks, and your, your sexy smile, and your, your fabulous personality. So that all goes into it. So congratulations on that. Well, I thank you. And I love... Whenever you get to a certain age, you know, I'm looking at 70, I'm going to be 70 this coming March, and everything kind of seems like a Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> and it's, it's such a cool thing to be looking, you know, at this part of my life, you know, there's, there's certainly life ahead, but there's a lot more life behind, that's just a fact. And with just so much gratitude for the things that came into my path. Just for example, that I discovered yoga when I was 17, back when you had to discover it. You know, most people didn't. Most people had to wait, you know, 20 years for, for those benefits to come into their lives. And I feel really grateful for the things that I heard about and followed up on. And, and my attempt is to continue to do that. And you, know, you are doing that. You yeah. look at all of the books that you have written. You, in fact, why don't you take a couple of books and, and talk about the book and maybe why, you know, what, yeah. what your feelings were when you started sure. putting it together. Okay, well, my very best selling book ever, which is 20 years old, is called Creating a Charmed Life. Now, if you look that up on Amazon or somewhere, You'll see there's also one called Living a Charmed Life. That's not it. That's the 10th anniversary sequel. Entirely different book. Publisher wanted to call it almost the same title. I don't think that was very smart. But anyway, Creating a Charmed Life. It has a picture of a beach scene and a beach umbrella on it. And that came when I knew that even though I'd had so many struggles, as we all do, you know, I mean, I'd had the eating disorder situation. Um, my first husband, bless his heart, um, had anxiety and depression and ultimately took his own life. And Aww. I was a single mom for 
quite a few years. And so it's not like I hadn't been through difficulties. And yet I also knew that I had this charmed life. Uh, when I was 14, I had a $1 press card for a teen magazine. And I got into my first Beatles press conference. <laughs> any little girl could have one of those cards. But I used it, and I contacted the editor in New York, and I contacted the Beatles press agent, and I got an official invitation. And I walked into that hotel, and I looked across the street, and there were literally thousands of girls my age behind a rope in a park with police guards. And I was in the hotel. And I paid attention to that because I was not a cute kid. I was overweight even then. I had bad skin. I had bad hair. My parents were divorced. My mother had married a man in the military. They were living in Spain. You know, I didn't have that kind of mother influence for, you know, how to do my hair and choose clothing and things like that. So in some ways, I was kind of a mess. But in another way, I knew that life was supposed to be magical. And that just continued. And through the hard times, that magic stuff was in there. There's a, a point that I make in creating a charmed life that I absolutely love to this day, and it's called play your free square. So anybody who has ever played the game of bingo knows that in the middle of that bingo card, there is a free square, and it is as valuable for winning that game as any of the other squares that you have to get by luck. But the free square is yours just because you exist. And I believe we all have at least one of these free squares. And mine is running into helpful, fascinating, sometimes famous people that just kind of slip in at the right time. So I'm going to riff off this, if I might, and go into another book you asked about more than well, one Well, so book. did that day yeah. when you went to that news conference? Yes. So did that, was that a changer for you, a life changer? Oh, totally, totally. Um, I was completely speechless. I, I, I couldn't say a word. I went up afterwards and got Paul McCartney's cigarette butt out of the <laughs> ashtray um, for a souvenir. But yeah, my whole life changed. And then the following year, I went to the Beatles press conference in Toronto and the year after that, I had an invitation for Chicago, but that was the year that John Lennon had said the Beatles were more popular than Christ, and they were afraid there would be church backlash. So they canceled the press conference, and I was there by myself at 16, and there was a plane strike, and I had nowhere to go. So I called my dad, and somehow, miraculously, because there was a plane strike, he got a flight he came to Chicago. We checked into the Beatles hotel. Room, hotel. We met his their um, press um, equipment manager, Mal Evans. I'd seen his picture, so I knew who he was. I jumped into the elevator. And the long and short of it was I invited him to come to dinner with my dad and me. He did. And we became friends. So the following spring in London, um, we were in a little disco uh called bag of nails and malcolm said there's someone i want you to meet and that turned out to be paul mccartney my favorite beetle i mean Aww. i had a cigarette but <laughs> and we were introduced and paul said hello vicky <laughs> and i thought i I can die now. I mean <laughs> what else is there? So he ordered Scotch and Coke three doubles. 
And I was 17. And I thought, this is a double scotch. Will I die? And then I just kind of weighed that, you know, if you die with a beetle, it's a life well lived. So, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff from that. And then, of course, that got me writing. That got me. Sure. Um, and I met all the other groups, rock groups of that era in between time. And then when I became vegetarian at, at 19, I started writing for health food publications, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on. And I can tell you stories all day. So stop me if you want to move on to something else. I am loving this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these are. I'll I'll tell you another free free square story then. So I was working on the proposal. So for a nonfiction book, you don't write the book. You write a proposal, and a publisher buys that, hopefully, and and then you write the book with some input from them. And I I knew I wanted to call it Main Street Vegan. That was my inspired title, but the publisher didn't like that. And so I was trying to come up with another title as I wrote the book, and that wasn't really happening. So my husband and I are walking up Broadway here in New York City, and we see somebody so famous, you can recognize him from the back. And that was Michael Moore, the filmmaker. And I knew he had liked one of my earlier books because he'd written about it in Oprah's magazine. So I just gave my card to the woman who was with him, who turned out to be his sister, And in a few seconds, we hear Victoria and following us up Broadway, there is Michael Moore. And he said, we need to talk. We need to talk about food. I'm going to Michigan for a month. And when I come back, I'll call you. And I thought, of course you will. People with Academy Awards call me so often, it is getting to be annoying. (laughs) You know what? He did. And we started having these really nice, in-depth conversations about food we shared a lot of experience in that area and I said oh this book I'm writing it's supposed to be called Main Street Vegan but the publisher hates Main Street he said they're wrong let me talk to them so we had a three-way call with my editor and Michael Moore and me he convinced her she convinced the higher-ups and that's how I got my title Main Street Vegan and once I knew that was the title of the book all the rest started to pop, all these ideas. There needs to be Main Street Vegan Academy, a Main Street Vegan podcast, a Main Street Vegan production company. And this is my life now. Since 2011, when that conversation happened, 2012, the book came out and these other things started happening. So my assignment for the rest of my life on earth is to be Main Street Vegan and to get that message out into the world, but that all came through this free square that I have for meeting helpful people. That is amazing. And yeah, so those positive imprints just, uh, yeah, abound every corner we turn. Yeah, and, and some people say, well, so what is it? Is it just luck? You know, why does it happen to you and it doesn't happen to me? I think some of it is you have to show up. Uh, I wrote a book called uh, Fit From Within, a, a book about you know making peace with food and weight and that kind of thing. And one of those chapters is called Get Up, Get Out, Get Going. Because one thing I have learned is that miracles do not knock on your door. You, you very rarely, most of the time, for this these kinds of things to happen, you have got to take your body 
and get it out into the world. And people will also say to me, well, you're in New York City, all that kind of, well, yeah, I'm in New York City now. I've only been here for 20 years. I was 50 years old when I moved to New York City, and I had a charmed life before I ever got here. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You need to expect remarkable occurrences and go out into the world like that. When you go out into the world knowing that you want to do something amazing, when you go out into the world knowing that you want to make this world better, when you go out into the world knowing that you have gifts and talents that you weren't given to stick under the proverbial bushel, that's when all these charmed life occurrences start happening. And that doesn't mean we can't get bogged down or discouraged or depressed. And I know all that stuff happens and it slows everybody down. And yet you want to be surrounded by people who believe in you and who believe that magical living is what we're supposed to be doing and that to live any other way is is off kilter. You know, we have the idea of, oh, you know, ordinary, ordinary, same old, same old, another day, another dollar. And then there are those few people who are touched with extra light. No, you touch yourself with extra light. And you, you claim that. And, and that doesn't mean that some people's circumstances aren't difficult. I mean, I know we're, we're not all born in the same place and we all have different levels of, of privilege and whatnot. But we start where we start and we finish where we finish. It's not our fault or our responsibility where we start, but where we finish is. And uh, to me, just to waste a day on earth because we believe it's supposed to be ordinary, that is just so sad. And people say, oh, but my job is really boring. Okay, so you go to your job for eight hours. You have another eight hours to sleep, and that gives you a full eight hours, a full third of the day, plus the weekend 48 hours for magic, for making a difference, for doing something extraordinary, for taking one of your dreams off a back burner and bringing it in to being, regardless of how much money you have, how old you are, what you look like, it doesn't matter. And, and you have to kind of claim this, and I'm seeing it now that I'm older and I understand I'm going into another kind of um, group that is looked down upon in society. So when I was younger uh, and, and I was um, very overweight and, and I was looked down upon for that reason, and then I went through a period where, you know, I was pretty much okay. You know, I looked like everybody else. And now I'm getting older and I'm getting into this other group where people are kind of like, you know, let's just write that person off because they're old. What well, you either accept that and buy it and live that way or you don't. And I absolutely refuse to. I am looking forward to my 70s. I was talking with a lovely novelist the other day who's just my age. And she said, I want them to say she did her best work in her 70s. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You can do something extraordinary today. And the world is, is in a lot of trouble in a whole lot of ways. And so it almost doesn't matter what your interests are. There are so many needs out there that regardless of what you think is most important, go for that one. Because there's so much important stuff 
whatever you do to make things better is going to be very, very much appreciated by those who come after us. Wow, you're impressive. And the wisdom that you have is is glorious. And it's just so much needed for people to hear all around the world. Because there are people, you know, I, I received an email from this fellow from Africa. And it said, and I don't even try to pronounce his name, but he said, Catherine, you inspire me to find my positive imprint. And oh. I found it. So, oh. and he kind of talked about what he's doing with people who are starting businesses and how he's helping them. And he's in his 20s. Oh, <laughs> so, so people sweet. like you, I know. And this is, this is, you know, part of whom you are. And this is your legacy. But your books are providing so much wisdom, the positive imprints, and kind of like the recipe for what we all need to, if you know, to make a charmed life. Uh -huh. And you're delightful. I, I'm loving this. So you you have a daughter. I do. And your daughter was obviously raised vegan. She was indeed, and she continues to be vegan. Her husband is vegan, and uh, my daughter is a professional stunt performer and aerialist. Oh, wow. And, uh, she and her husband are on tour now uh, with a dinosaur show called Jurassic World Live. <laughs> she did <laughs> last year Marvel Universe Live. She was Rocket Raccoon. So, yeah, she's a, a strong, lifelong vegan and, you know, very, very committed to that. Some of my other values and interests, like I'm very spiritual. I'm kind of, you know, some people, I guess, would say a little bit woo-woo. I mean, I, I meditate. I My degree is in comparative religions because, like Einstein supposedly said, I want to know God's thoughts, the rest are commentary. <laughs> she, right. she didn't take that. You know, she's very much your kind of ethical humanist. But she kept the ethical vegan stuff, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And now you have, and on your email, and I don't have it up in front of me, but on your email you have something about compassion for the animals. Yeah. What is that saying that you have? That's a documentary. It's called A Prayer for Compassion. So um, back in 2015, I got a call on my live radio show, and this uh, gentleman had asked if I would produce his documentary. And my first thought is, I don't know how to produce a documentary. But then he said, it's about spirituality and veganism. And it's like, how can I say no to that? Because those are my passions. <laughs> so um, I started working with him. His name is Thomas Wade Jackson, very gifted filmmaker. He won Student uh, Academy Award for a short that he did back in film school, but he had never done a documentary. So we started uh, literally with a budget of zero. We started with a GoFundMe campaign with no money in it. And he just started shooting. And then people came on, as, as they do. And A Prayer for Compassion is utterly glorious. It is to suggest to people who identify as religious of whatever kind of faith they profess, or even just spiritual but not religious, that at the heart of every spiritual teaching 
there is this unconditional love. There is this, this beautiful, blissful compassion for all. And as we know, with all of our human frailties, you know, sometimes people have a hard time getting that beyond people who are like them. And then people can get beyond people who are like them, but then they have a hard time getting it out to like others who have different bodies, meaning non-human bodies. So what we're trying to do in A Prayer for Compassion is just show what's in these beautiful teachings and how if we can just expand that a little bit, and then people will want to change their choices at the supermarket and on the menu. Now, when I went vegan, it was really about the animals. And I know a lot of people also do it for their health, and that's wonderful. I mean, at the age I am now, I'm not on any medications. I feel absolutely terrific, even though everybody in my family by this age had high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes and heart disease, I, all that stuff. I don't have any of that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the food. But nowadays, right now, in 2020 and this decade that we have ahead of us, we've got this climate crisis, and it really is a crisis. And it's so disempowering to think, oh, my God, it's all happening, and what can I do? Because we've got these governments and these industries, and they're not doing anything. Do you know what? If we changed our diets and composted, two, two little things we can do in our own kitchen, we eat plants, we compost our garbage, just us, if it was done around the world in great numbers, we could reduce the methane going out into the atmosphere and some of the carbon as well enough to buy us time because what a lot of people don't understand number one is that animal agriculture is responsible for more greenhouse gases going into the atmosphere than all transportation combined you can check this out in a un study livestock's long shadow a world bank follow-up study and methane if it stopped being generated can get out of the atmosphere in 10 years. Carbon, even if we stopped all driving and all cars and buses and planes and trucks, it would take 100 years for those gases to leave the atmosphere. 10 years we've got, 100 years we don't. So even though obviously we have to look at carbon and we have to look at all the ways that we are upsetting the uh, climatic um, balance of this planet, but the most powerful, empowering, positive, exciting thing that each one of us can do is eat plants and compost our garbage. And to me, that is so exciting because it actually means I don't have to be powerless anymore. I don't have to wait for world leaders and captains of industry to decide that saving this planet is more important than their personal agenda. Because saving this planet is my personal agenda, and I know it's that of a lot of other people, and we can do this without their permission. So it's absolutely stunning. Wow. Yeah, I agree. And there, there is quite a bit. Well, you, you have, I am telling you, I could listen to you all day, and no wonder you are this phenomenal, awarded, inspirational speaker. You you have the experience, but you have that wisdom 
and and you're clear with with what you want to bring to your audience. So I have a lot of listeners in Nepal. Oh, I've been to Nepal. I was, in fact, I've been trying to find uh, someone in Nepal that I could have on the show. <laughs> oh, and Nepal is amazing. Um, if I, I just before we leave, a prayer for compassion. I, the filmmaker, I can just feel him in my head saying, "Tell them how they can watch." Uh, oh right yes, now, we're, we're on Vimeo. We're exclusive on Vimeo. So if you just Google Vimeo, V I M E O, and a prayer for compassion. Uh, you can uh, stream the film that way. We hope to be on Amazon um, very, very soon. So uh, you can uh, look out for that. You can also go to the film's website, aprayerforcompassion.com, if you want to do a local filming, uh, a local screening on uh, the big screen in a church, synagogue, wherever uh, in, in your area. You know, I loved Nepal. I had some just stunning experiences there. It really is the top of the world. Um, I, I was first in Tibet, and in Tibet, at least at that time when the Chinese occupation was newer, we're talking the early 1990s, you were not allowed to be there unless you were on a tour. So we were a tour of three, my boyfriend at the time and my daughter, who was then eight years old, and myself. But when we landed, we didn't have a guide. And so we bribed a Chinese guide to take us into Lhasa, into the capital city, which he did. And we went to our hotel, the Holiday Inn, and we learned that they'd never heard of us. There was no reservation. So we were not supposed to be there. So my boyfriend went to the police station and managed to bribe them to let us stay. We couldn't have even left because at that time, the flights during that time of year only went out once a week. So our guide had gotten drunk (laughs) and completely forgotten about us. So we were in Lhasa with nobody watching us and word got around. So all these Tibetans were coming to our door, wanting us to deliver messages to relatives in Nepal and India and the U.S. And we got very connected with, uh, with some of, of the Tibetans. So when we went to Nepal the first time, we didn't know what we were supposed to be doing. We just went as tourists. But when we went back the second time, it was with a mission. So we had a video camera that would play videos. This was obviously long before smartphones. So we were we had gone to visit Tibetan refugees in this country. There were a lot of them in Minnesota. And then we took these videos to Nepal to show to the relatives. And... Now I'm going to share something that is really interesting. It's it's so fascinating that you ask me this. I don't know if it's going to do any good, except it will do some good for me to kind of check off my my moral inventory list that I do continue (laughs) to try to do this. So at around that time, my then uh, boyfriend, my first husband had died and I hadn't met my current husband. And so this gentleman uh, for Christmas gave my daughter and me um, adoption of um, a couple of of children, one in India and uh, one in Nepal, 
to go to school. And then when we went back to Nepal the second time, we visited. We visited the child in India and the child in Nepal and, um, and got to know them. And it was great. And life went on. And then uh, this gentleman decided that he didn't want to be my boyfriend anymore. And I was back to being a single mom uh, trying to support my daughter, writing articles for health food store magazines. And um, I just didn't feel that I had the money uh, to continue um, with this um, support for these children. And I didn't understand at that time how potentially devastating that was. And so you said you are looking for somebody from Nepal to be on your show. I am looking for somebody from Nepal to do something really nice for. And so I'm going to say this young woman's name. The young woman I am looking for is named Karma Ladan. Her father's name was Atam. And they lived in a camp in Pokhara, a camp for Tibetan refugees. She had an elder sister and I believe a small sister as well. And I would just love so much to find her and be able to do something for her family because I let her down 25 years ago. Wow. Well, certainly I hope listeners who are in Nepal heard that. That is definitely from the heart. Victoria, I do hope you find her. Yes, and and, and rest, be rest assured that you, you had a daughter to raise, and so you had to make decisions. And we know now that those $4 actually really do help quite a bit people in other countries. But again, well, you had this, to make this a decision. Was, this was a an expensive private adoption situation. So it, it was quite expensive and, and I didn't feel that I could do it and still do right by my daughter. But what I didn't understand was how important it was. And I just pray that someone else came through that she was able to continue her education, but I feel I owe her either way. Wow, well, I hope that listeners over in Nepal might know her. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And you're, yeah, that, that's, that's heart-wrenching. That's, that's a sweet story. That's a sweet story. And, and so, again, even that, you're still living this charmed life full of positivity and full of, of just ex one experience after another well, after another. You know, I, I think that's part of it that, you know, we're all going to screw up. And, and one of the important things, I think, for a, a successful life is that we try to fix it when we screw up. And that's why I would love to find this person in, in Nepal because and, and, and I probably won't. You know, I understand there are a lot of people in Nepal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, so I may just have to do something for somebody else, for, for a stranger. I, I just know that I don't want to continue in my life or certainly leave this life with some of these uh, stones unturned. So I just think that's part of, of the um, uh, kind of the, the recipe 
for a magical life is, yeah, you're going to screw up. That's guaranteed. But when you do, do your best to fix it. And that's part of the 12-step programs, too, that whole process of, of making amends. And I think sometimes people wonder, well, why, why is AA so successful? Why, before that came around, you know, alcoholics were doomed to institutionalization or death, and nobody thinks that anymore. And what's the magic, you know, in those 12 steps? And there's quite a lot of magic. And one of them is this thing about making amends. Oops, wish I hadn't done that. And so what can I do? What can I do to make it better now? Well, something you're doing to help others is you're helping them to become certified holistic health coaches. <laughs> I am. Um, the program that I have trains people to be vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. So that means that everybody who comes to Main Street Vegan Academy needs to already be vegan. So there are lots of great ways to learn how to be vegan. You can read my book, Main Street Vegan. You can um, go to a physician's committee for responsible medicine. They have something called a 21-day vegan kickstart uh, with lots of help and support. So it's really, really easy to get started on that path. But the people that I'm training are people who are already committed to this lifestyle and who want to be certified to coach and counsel others, to educate, to do uh, talks and, and events. And, and many of them actually have products. We have um, Kat Mendenhall cowboy boots in Dallas, Texas. They're all vegan and eco-friendly. We have uh, Riverdell, which is uh, two lovely vegan cheese shops here in the New York City area in Brooklyn and in Manhattan. We've got um, Karma, which is a wonderful um, um, cheese and yogurt company, all non-dairy in Colombia, uh, in uh, south of the border. So it's really... Um, Lots of amazing things happen after people come to Main Street Vegan Academy, and it is in person. And there are so many wonderful courses about everything that we can take online, and yet there is something magical about bringing your body somewhere. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, why don't you do Main Street Vegan Academy online? Because then so many more people could take the course and you'd make all this money. And I say, that's not what it's about. If you took your honeymoon in Paris, you could have saved a lot of money just staying home and looking at pictures of Paris online and then <laughs> get it. Because there are some things in life you just have to be there. And that's how I feel about Main Street Vegan Academy. So if anybody's interested, you can just go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on Academy, and you can read all about it. So there's a guest that I had on the show. His name is Martin. And he's from Czech Republic. And I think you would really enjoy listening to that episode. And he yeah. talks about how he became a vegan, which will absolutely surprise you with uh, his decision. People saying, I can't go all the way. You know, go do something. You know, I think it's like if you're at an airport and you need to get way down there to gate 92 and you're at gate 17 well that just looks like a really long way to go but if you get on one of those moving walkways it's going to help you a lot so in this context the moving walkway is you just do something so if you want to just do something I would say how would you feel about getting off 
chickens and eggs because there's more cruelty involved in chickens and eggs than any other kind of animal product, arguably. Somebody could argue that, but I, I think it's pretty well established. And so much can happen for your health because chicken is not what it used to be. You know, we used to think, oh, it's white meat and it's low fat and all that. Not anymore. It's soaked in sodium so that the chickens will be bigger. It, it's just, it's not doing you any favors. And the eggs too, highest cholesterol food on the planet. So just start with chickens and eggs and then do everything else the way you've always done it. Give yourself 90 days and then you can add something else. Maybe you want to stop the fish because we're being told that by 2040 there will be no fish in the seas because of overfishing. Or maybe you'll want to stop cheese. That's a really hard thing for people. Although we do have glorious vegan cheeses now that you can serve to French people. Kite Hill, Tree Line, Miyoko's, wonderful cheeses. So you just, you start with something and then you do the next thing when you're able. So it's not any kind of, um, you know, like, oh my gosh, I have to do this today or I'll be bad. No, you're not bad even if you don't do it. But let's do it because we have a planet to save and we want to support the upward progression of the universe and more kindness and, and more compassion for all. And so, you know, let's just do it at, at our own pace and in our own way and uh, allowing for others their pace and their way. Well, that's a good way to do it. Thank you. And, and so with your Main Street Vegan and everything that you're doing, what are your... I mean, you're you're seventy. I but you almost <laughs> almost, and you're you're continuing on. So, what is next for you? I February first, which may be in the past. I don't know when you're going to post this podcast, but that's my deadline for myself to turn turn in the book proposal for my fourteenth book. Wow! And the working title is Vintage Vegan: Change Your Diet Over Fifty to Extend Your Life and ensure your legacy. And the point of this book is, I see all these beautiful young people like Greta Thunberg mm -hmm. out there on the front lines to save this planet. And I look and it's like, where are their parents? And where are their grandparents? And I think that's because people my age, people a little bit younger, we've gotten set in our ways. But we need to upset those ways because otherwise we're expecting children to save this planet that got into this mess on our watch. That's not good karma. That's just not good character. We need to be in this with them. We need to change our food choices regardless of our age. And I agree. And But I, I also think that our generation, well, your generation, we're two different generations, but your generation did do things for climate change and other, and my generation did. I just, I don't know why it is the way it is and why it takes so long. And I think this new generation is going to try, but we, we need the governments to, to change and make laws so that people actually do change. Even though we can change in our house, there are so many people that won't do it unless they're told they need to. Yeah. There's so much to do. 
Oh, I, I just want to say amen, sister. So every day, you know, we just get out there and, and do. It was yeah, like, that's uh, right. I remember talking to um, an anti-nuclear uh, activist uh, a long time ago, and someone said to him, but, you know, what, what can you do? You know, you're just one person. And he said, well, if heaven forbid that that should ever happen, a nuclear holocaust, and I am waiting for the destruction, I want to at least know that I did everything I could to prevent it. And it, it's an interesting kind of juggling act that we're all asked to do, because on the one hand, there are all these serious problems in the bigger world that need to be addressed. And then there are problems right around us, I'm sure, you know, in most of our own families and our circle of friends, there are people who need help. And then there's our own lives that we want to live magically, like we were talking about earlier. How can we possibly do all that? Well, we can, because we live in the moment. And in this moment, the most important thing is talking to you and the most important thing for me is talking to you and your listeners, knowing that they're going to take what they like and leave the rest. Hopefully, some of them will like a lot of what I say, and probably some of them will not like some of what I say. That's fine. But regardless of that, this is the most important thing I could be doing at this moment. When we stop talking, then the most important thing might be to work on my book. It might be to walk my dog. It might be to make a call. It's if you focus, if you just focus in the moment and do that next thing indicated, you're going to be good. You're, you're going to be tuning into this voice within you, this, this wisdom that knows. And somebody was telling me the other day, you know, about world leaders and, and some of the world leaders now, a lot of people think are, you know, not listening to their inner voice, but this lovely man, lovely uh, Indian um, Hindu gentleman was saying there is nobody on earth who is shut off from the voice of God. So you just pray that all of these leaders will be able to hear the voice of God. And if you don't like the word God, use another word. But we've got to trust that we are connected to wisdom and others in power are connected to wisdom, even if they don't seem to show it on a regular basis. And we just have to go forward with that, doing what's in front of us and taking action. And then we're going to be happy and we're going to be healthy and we're going to be um, really glad to look back on our lives and say, yeah, I was in that thing. Well, Victoria, thank you so much. And that was so inspiring. In fact, this, this entire conversation has been inspiring. We have time for just a, a couple of few last words from you. Ah, well, the first word that comes to mind, Catherine, is thank you. Thank you for being such a gracious host. And also thank you for inviting me because I know that my being vegan is threatening to a lot of other people because just the fact that I have chosen this way of life, a lot of people who don't have faith in themselves seem to think that that means that they're wrong and they don't want to talk about that and they don't want to talk to me and they don't want to let me express my views and you have been just the opposite you invited me on you delved into these areas and I'm just so grateful for you and I guess just what I would say in terms of inspiration 
is let's just all be our best selves as you obviously are inspiring people with all your wonderful podcasts and just I think this connection this connection that you and I are having right now and and that we'll have with your listeners as everybody uh, plays this episode and all your other episodes it inspires the heck out of me Oh, thank you so much, Victoria. Well, thank you again, Victoria, for sharing your charmed life. And you can learn more about Victoria Moran from her website, MainStreetVegan.net. Thank you so much for listening to this free podcast. Don't forget to sign up for podcast updates and listen to episodes on my website at yourpositiveimprint.com or download my episodes by hitting subscribe or the follow button on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Music by Chris Knoll. His music may be found at chrisknoll.com. Next week's guest is Lindsay from Canada. Your positive imprint. Don't forget, hit that subscribe or follow button now. What's your P.I.?